0: This is week number six in our study of the book of Daniel. Last week we were in chapter two, moved to verses 13 through 23. And you remember in that passage is where Daniel gets brought into the situation of where Nebuchadnezzar is demanding, really, of all the wise men in the land to give him not just an interpretation of his dream, but actually to tell him what his dream was so that he can then trust their, their interpretation of it. And you remember all the wise men responded that there's nobody on earth that can do this. this only a god could do this. And the, the gods don't dwell among flesh. And so we're incapable of doing that. And Nebuchadnezzar became furious and called for all the wise men of the land to be killed. And their families to be killed and their houses to be torn down. And so <clears throat> Ariok, the commander of the, um, of the guard, really um, Nebuchadnezzar's right-hand man, goes to find Daniel and his companions because for some reason, maybe because they just graduated, they're not in the crowd of wise men who are trying to answer Nebuchadnezzar's request. And so Ariok goes to find them. He finds Daniel first and says, Daniel, you've got to come with me. We have to kill you. And so Daniel says, what's what's the rush? (laughs) And so Ariok explains to Daniel what's going on. so Daniel requests the opportunity to go into Nebuchadnezzar. Remember, he goes before Nebuchadnezzar, and apparently Daniel's approach is very different from the other guys because he asks for time to be able to Give the king the interpretation of the dream. And and Nebuchadnezzar grants him that time. Probably because Daniel didn't say it was impossible. This can't be done. There's no opportunity. There's no way that I'm going to be able to do this. He simply said, give me some time and I will give you the interpretation. So Daniel, having confidence that God would give him uh, the mystery of the dream and its interpretation if God wanted them to live. And so Daniel goes back to his house, he gets his three friends, and he says, Join me and let's request God's mercy that we will not be killed with all the other wise men. So even if they got killed, Daniel and his friends were praying that they would not get killed. And so during that night, while they're praying, probably throughout the night, Daniel gets what is known in Scripture as a night vision We're not given any details, don't know, um, you know, certainly maybe he saw the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar had said, uh, how he understood what it meant, and what the interpretation was, we don't know. We're not given any of that. Just Daniel simply says that um, he received the night vision, and in response to that, he then um, offers a prayer of thanksgiving and praise to God. You remember... As we walk through that prayer, we saw much of Daniel's theology. Um, It rises out of that prayer. First of all, he called God the God of heaven. So Daniel, remembering what he had been taught as a youth, remembering the things that his uh, fathers uh, believed about God, calls him the God of heaven. And then Daniel proceeds to say several things that reveals what he thinks. He he says that God is the... um, the owner, the one who has power and wisdom. And that if any men have wisdom or understanding, that they only have it because God granted it to them, gave it to them. Men don't have that on their own. And so Daniel acknowledging that God is the only one who has that type of wisdom, he, um, he also um, showed that he believed that God was involved with the affairs of men When he said that God is the one who establishes kings and removes kings. Not only is he a God who created the universe, created all that there is, but he's actively involved in the affairs of men. He also um, said that it's God who sets or changes the times and the uh, appointed times, the epochs, meaning that God is in control of all that there is, he does what he well pleases. And he determines what's going to be done at what time. So Daniel yielding to the sovereignty of God in his prayer. And then finally he said that the only reason he understood what the king's mystery was, was because God had given it to him. It didn't come from within him. It wasn't because he was clever. It was because God had poured out his grace on him. So we see Daniel's theology all over this prayer. Of acknowledging that God's in control, that God is the one who establishes um, what's going to happen, that God actually causes things to happen in men's affairs, and that he's the one that dispenses wisdom and knowledge. And we'll see that uh, again in today's lesson as Daniel goes on and really is kind of over the top with this issue of that this understanding has come from God and not from him. And that will be his words to Nebuchadnezzar. So, we'll read today, beginning in chapter 2, picking up where we left off last time, in verse 24, and read all the way down through the the giving of the dream through verse 35. So, in Daniel chapter 2, beginning in verse 24, there the scripture reads, Therefore Daniel went into Arioch, whom the king had appointed, to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and spoke to him as follows, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me into the king's presence, and I will declare the interpretation to the king. Then Ariak hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence and spoke to him as follows, I have found a man who, among the exiles from Judah who can make the interpretation known to the king. The king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in this interpretation? <laughs> Daniel answered before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. However, there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was, in, this was your dream and the visions in your mind while on your bed. As for you, O oh king, while on your bed, your thoughts turn to what would take place in the future, and he who reveals mysteries has made known to you what will take place. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me For any wisdom residing in me more than in any other living man, but for the purpose of making the interpretation known to the king, and that you may understand the thoughts of your mind. You, O king, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue. The statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time, became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. and The wind carried them away so that no trace of them was found. But the stone that would struck the statue became great, became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Okay, so clearly Daniel um, saw the same thing that Nebuchadnezzar did, and in, in the future lessons, um, he'll actually give the interpretation of it. Now, you can remember Daniel made no great statements about how he got the revelation or uh, why he got it, other than God was being gracious to him. But after receiving it, he goes and he tells Arioch, and that yeah, he understands the dream, and that he shouldn't kill all the wise men of Babylon. Now, where are the wise men of Babylon? Where do you suppose the wise men of Babylon are?
1: Why, why would you say they're locked up? They started carrying apart yet. Right. They apparently
0: have not started killing them. Okay, because we see them show up later in this passage. And but if you were a wise man and Nebuchadnezzar had threatened you as he threatened them, and they didn't lock you up, what would you do? You would leave, right? So apparently these guys were all kept. Um, the guard was probably watching guard over them. We don't know that for sure. We know that Daniel and his companions were able to go back to Daniel's house because that, I think it's by verse 17, says that they went back to his house and there they were all praying when Daniel received the night vision. And so we're not exactly sure uh, of all this happening, but probably these guys are mocked up. Now, do you think they knew? that Daniel had said that he'd be able to interpret the the vision. Well, if someone hadn't said something, what would be true by this time? They would be dead, right? Because the king gave orders for all of them to be killed. So unless something happened, they would be dead by now. So I have a, a suspicion that everybody knew that Daniel had gone into the king and said, I can interpret this dream. And so, if that's true, what's true about all these guys? What are they watching?
1: Yeah, what would they have their eyes on? Daniel,
0: right? Who would Arioch have his eyes on? Daniel, right? I mean, he's waiting for Daniel to give the interpretation that he heard him say to the king he could. Who would Nebuchadnezzar have his focus on? On Daniel, right? Everybody in the land is focused on Daniel who said he could give the king this interpretation so all these wise men would not be destroyed. Now, that's not what Daniel wants. That's not what he intends, and so he goes about to change the minds and the thinking of everybody involved. And that's what he does through these coming verses as we go on down a little further. You can see that um, there, there would probably be a level event of anxiety, wouldn't you think? Of the wise men, would you be a little anxious for, da- for Daniel to come and give him the interpretation? Yeah. I, I would imagine so. But look at this. He says he talks to Ariot, and in verse 25, then Ariot hurriedly brought Daniel into the king's presence. Why is Ariot, who's, who's the commander of the king's guard, why is he anxious and hurries to take Daniel? Just think about it. Who, who was in charge of having all these guys killed? was, right?
1: I was in charge of the training
0: them. Well, yeah. But he had been given a command to kill them. And they're still alive. They are not <coughs> dead. So it's likely, you know, the king could do whatever he wanted to, right? We talked about that last week. How is it that he could just command and all these guys would be killed? Because he's the king. You know, he's the lord of the land. He can do whatever he wants to. He's the king of the most powerful forces on the planet so he can do whatever he wishes if he he got upset which he had the day before right he'd become furious that could also be furious against Ariok why are these guys still alive especially if Daniel doesn't come through then why didn't we already kill these guys and so Ariok is on you know kind of anxious about what's going on also I imagine all the guys underneath Ariok are also this is a, a tension-filled atmosphere, and so Ariok hurries to take uh, Daniel into the king's presence, and, you know, I have to chuckle a little bit at Ariok here. What does he say to the king?
1: I have found a man who can interpret your dream. Really.
0: Is that news to the king? No, because in verse 16 it says that Daniel had already gone in. With Daniel had already been there the day before and said, King, I will give me some time and I'll interpret your dream. And then here's Arioch comes braiding in. I found the guy. Like he, he went out and found somebody new, right? A little too much credit he's taking for himself. He didn't find anybody. It's Daniel who volunteered, but here's Ariok all puffed up because Daniel said he could interpret the dream coming back in and saying that he has found the guy who will declare the interpretation of the of the dream. Now you notice that there is no lack of confidence in Daniel here, right? He says, Take me to the king and I will declare the interpretation. So Daniel has it crystal clear. It's not like he just knew the dream. He knew exactly what it meant. We're not exactly sure how that, that came about. But then the king said to Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar. So why does, why does Daniel put that in there? What, I mean, we already know that his name has been changed to Belshazzar. So when Daniel walked in before Nebuchadnezzar, what did Nebuchadnezzar say to him? Yeah, he called him by his new name, right? He called him Belshazzar. Can you interpret, or can you tell me the dream and its interpretation? Straightforward question, right? I mean, it's plain and simple. Yeah, it would be either a yes or a no. It would be appropriate to respond back. And, of course, Daniel doesn't do that. But he has a reason why he doesn't answer him straightforwardly. Now... If you were in the room, you would want him to say yes, right? Yeah, just tell him that you can say it. But he doesn't do that. Notice how, you know, we've talked about how Daniel approaches people, and he is always full of wisdom. He's clever. He's always calm. I mean, now comes to kill him, and he says, why are you in such haste? He, you know, he gets told no. By the uh, guards, the king of the guards, king's head of the guards, and that he no, we can't feed you just vegetables. We have to give you the king's rations, and so he doesn't take no for an answer, and he goes to the next guy in command, who again he explains and gets this deal with him, really right? Always under control, always very humble always very respectful, always a cool head. And here, the same thing prevails. Notice he doesn't rush in to the king to give him his answer. Daniel answered in verse 27 before the king and said, As for the mystery about which the king has inquired, neither wise men, conjurers, magicians, nor diviners are able to declare it to the king. Now, I know some of you have the ESV, right? So instead of con- con- conjurers, it says what? What? Well, astrologers is at the end, right? Enchanters. Okay, so we have all these different names for guys who do mysterious stuff, especially the astrologers who look at the stars and can tell you what's going to happen. So, but Daniel says, "King, none of these guys can give you the answer.
1: Now, why does Daniel do that?
0: Uh, well, if none of those guys could do that, <coughs> who would <are gonna> that include? <coughs> Daniel. So basically, Daniel's saying, Here, what? Is not humanly possible. Yeah. These other guys couldn't do it, and neither can I. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar has to be kind of raised <laughs> <his> right?
2: <laughs> right, however.
0: Right. This is—I mean, this is the same thing that all the wise men had said to the king. So you got to think he's thinking, "What is this? He's telling me what I already know because these guys weren't able to answer, and so now he's saying that he can't answer either." And that's exactly what Daniel wants to say to him.
1: Although God can. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this is,
0: Daniel is always calm, always cool and collected, always able to say what he wants to say, even when the others are opposed to him, always able to get his word in. It has to be something about his approach, his demeanor, his respect, um, just the way he presented himself. Go ahead, Amy.
1: Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel, right. explaining it. And my inter- uh, then Arioch, uh, sorry, and arrested the king. In right. where the king's quarters? Yeah. And this is after the command to kill everybody,
0: but before <laughs> yeah.
1: he had the vision at night.
0: Well, you know, and, and the
1: king let him get away. With it.
0: And realize the guy who he's talking to is Arioch, who is well, the king's right-hand man in the in verse fifteen. So it must be, and we're not giving the details, it must be that Arioch took him. And Daniel, you remember, when the king has just interviewed all of these new wise men, and nobody compared to Daniel and his friends. So after, and you know, they were much smarter, much better, looked better, all of those things. And so that has just happened. And that would not have happened outside of the presence of Ariadne, who would have been right there with Nebuchadnezzar. So there's this relationship and this esteem for Daniel and for his friends that's different than all the other guys. Because he interviewed every one of them, went through every name, and had an interview with them individually, and those four guys stood head and shoulders above everybody. So Daniel has the opportunity that most people would not have had. And, and he gets there because Ariok saw that take place. So Ariok must have taken him to Nebuchadnezzar. You know, he would have requested of Ariok the same thing that he requested of Nebuchadnezzar. If I can have a little time, I'll interpret the dream. Okay, so he now is talking to the king, very, very calm. I, I mean it's just amazing and he says that nobody can declare this to you but then he changes like you said this is what you would have said first right mm-hmm. he says, however there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries All right now what's significant about Daniel saying there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries Right, right. He does use singular, where all the other wise men would have been in their training as um, Chaldeans would have been using multiple gods. I mean, all the literature spoke of multiple gods. All of the education spoke of multiple gods. All these different gods who did all these different things. Okay, but Daniel doesn't say that. Says the God of heaven. Now that phrase is very significant in a Jewish mind. Turn back over. I just want to show you this, okay? This is because this is what Daniel is saying. Look over at <laughs> Deuteronomy chapter four. This is an obscure passage, right? You remember how? Um, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy—you remember how that all works and works together, right? We we talked about this a little bit when we were um, going through John. You remember that uh, Leviticus is the book right at the beginning of the of the uh, Exodus out of Egypt, where God lays out the law and gives it to Moses, and then Moses recounts it to the people, all the details of the tabernacle, all the sacrifices that were given. All of this is instituted in the book of Leviticus just after they get out of the land of Egypt. very short period of time takes place in Leviticus. All the details, all the foreshadowing of the coming of Christ and all is given in the book of Leviticus. And then you go to Numbers and Numbers covers the 40 years of wandering in the desert. But most of it concentrated in the first year. And the last year, very little details about the middle 38 years. The numbers is the time in which they were in Um, the wilderness, covers 40 years, but we have almost no details other than the beginning and the end. Then you get to the book of Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy lasts from beginning to end is maybe six weeks, maybe less. It's almost instantaneous because it's the wandering in the desert is over and now Joshua is getting ready to lead them across the Jordan into the promised land. But this is kind of like Moses' last farewell. And he gives speech after speech after speech, uh, recounts the 40 years, um, tells them what happened at the beginning of the 40 years, lays out the law again, saying all the things that were in the law, And then gives the Song of Moses and some farewell speeches and all of this in a very compressed time, maybe maybe less than a month, maybe six weeks, something like that. So very compact, covers almost no time at all. But in there, Moses says some very, very significant things. In chapter 5, he will give the Ten Commandments again that God originally gave on the Mount Aura. And when he's talking about that in chapter 4, he talks about that God came down on the mountain and that God spoke to you and you couldn't hear him. You, wanted, you didn't ever want to hear him speak again. He was terrifying. I think it's verse 24. He says that God is a jealous God and um, is a, um, a flaming fire. And, and all of this in warning to the people that if you don't keep the covenant that God established, that this is what will happen to you. And then down in verse 39, he makes this statement, I think it's 39, about God. So we're in Deuteronomy 4, down in verse 39, and he says just before he gives the Ten Commandments, that Now therefore today, know therefore today and take it in your heart that the Lord, he is God in heaven above and on the earth below, there is no other. So when Daniel goes in before Nebuchadnezzar and says there is a God in heaven, this is what he means. What's he saying to him? This is the only God. This is the true God. There are no other gods. Now, he doesn't say all of that. But to Daniel, to say there is a God in heaven reflects back on what Moses said here. And Daniel, you can see if all, the three years of indoctrination, the three years of training, the three years of brainwashing have had no effect whatsoever on Daniel or his theology or his belief in the one true God. Absolutely no effect on him whatsoever. Where all the other guys, other than his three friends, duped, taken away, fall into the Babylonian's door? But not Daniel and his three friends.
1: Why does he say a hey, God? And you'll find different translations say different
0: things. He, he's saying that there, there is a God in heaven... But by Daniel saying that, he's saying he is the only true God. So he could have said "the," and some translations do have "the." Some say "a God" in heaven, but Daniel's meaning is clear. As opposed to all these other guys, and notice that he does not use plural. All the other guys did use plural, right? This this could only be done by the gods who don't dwell among men.
3: At some point, what, at, the, at the end of this, when he that, he
0: says, you know, everybody will worship the god of Daniel." Yeah, I mean, yeah, he's you know Nebuchadnezzar never is a good guy. Okay, so don't give him that much credit ever in this book. He's never a good guy, but he does say some good things. Okay, but he's never, never, never a good guy. Okay, he never converts. He never believes. He no, never happens. Even after he has um, become a a cattle and, like and a, cow. That, yeah, a cow, doesn't he say that he's a true God? Isn't oh yeah, that, he gives a sin to God, absolutely. He,
1: but he doesn't, there's, he's
0: not a believer no. then? He's the king of the Babylonians. He represents evil. He says something. <laughs> Think about it. If you've been grazing for seven years, <laughs> you'd say there's something about this guy for sure. Right? But yeah, no. No, never, never. Just this Yeah, never, never. Okay. So we have Daniel calm, cool, and collected. And this is his point. He wants Nebuchadnezzar to understand that. While all the focus is on Daniel, everybody's attention is on Daniel, here's Daniel saying, nobody can interpret this dream. No one can tell you what it was, including me. And so he's trying to change the focus. He's trying to get them to look at something else other than looking at him. So this is, this is Daniel very cleverly, very wisely changing the attention. He goes on. He, he gives more. Because, so Daniel answered, nobody can declare this mystery. Basically, declare it to the king. However, there is a God. There is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And notice this. And he is made known to Nebuchadnezzar. Now, what's interesting about that?
4: He's making Nebuchadnezzar
0: like he's exalting Nebuchadnezzar. Well, in a way, but Nebuchadnezzar has no idea. What the, he knows the dream, right? He knows what he saw. But he has no idea what it means. No, none whatsoever. But here's Daniel, again saying, I can't interpret this either. I'm just like all the other guys. Nobody can interpret this. And King, God in heaven has revealed a mystery to you, not to me. He has an elevated king of He is Great and... And again, he's trying to take the attention off of himself and say, Nebuchadnezzar, this is between you and the God of heaven. I'm just the messenger. So he's trying to change Nebuchadnezzar. He doesn't say, God in heaven revealed to me what your dream means. That's not his approach at all. He says, Nebuchadnezzar, God has revealed to you this mystery. I'm just here to tell you what it means. So Daniel clearly trying to change the focus of the king and everybody else who's looking at him as the guy who's going to interpret this dream. Now, he is going to interpret the dream. There's no doubt about that, but that is not Daniel's approach. He goes even further. He keeps on going down this road. So he says, He is made known to Nebuchadnezzar what will take place in the latter days. This was this was your dream and visions in your mind while on your bed. All right, now, this term that I talked to one of you about, this term made known to you what will occur in the what? Latter days. What flashes into your mind? End times. End times, right? <laughs> yep. Is that what he says? No. No, that's not what he says. <laughs> now, I'm, I'm like you. I mean, I, you know, we're living in the end times. The end is near, and it is. Okay, I would never deny that. But, you know, I can remember late nights when the millennium was getting ready to roll over, right? <laughs> I started counting the number of pastors who I had heard make this phrase. I just have a feeling that Jesus is coming real soon. Really. Here we are 15 years later. He didn't show up because the millennium rolled over. But I mean, I, I started counting the number of prominent pastors that would stand up before their congregations and say, I just have a feeling. Now, what's wrong with that? Well, no, what's really wrong with that? Right. Nobody, knows. Nobody, nobody, nobody knows. Nobody knows. Well, <laughs> nobody has an intuition. The Bible says only a knows. Yeah, it has a, uh, an expectation. or I, I just know it's going to happen real soon. I mean, i tell you, they all were saying that at the end of the millennium. It, it was Maybe some prominent guy said it somewhere, and everybody jumped on the bandwagon with him. I don't know. But I started counting the number of pastors who I heard say that. And got to a large number, so they were wrong. Now, should we be expecting Jesus to come? Absolutely, always ready. Could He come closer now? Yeah. It's God who changes the appointed times, right? Yes, we should be expecting. Yes, He could come. Any? Is there anything that has to take place before Jesus can come? about the word being spread through all the people of all, all, all the nations? Does that happen? No, and it happens during the seven years of tribulation. And it's not done by men, it's done by angels. So when we get over there in five years, we'll take a look at that, because that's late in the book of, of Revelation. Late in the book that the angels in the mid-heavens proclaim to all the nations that they should be ready because the time is is set. So, no, there's nothing that has to take place for Christ to be able to come at any time. There is no prophecy waiting to be fulfilled before Christ could come. Okay? those of you, there's a few, who believe he's already come, we'll talk about that later. Okay? Because there are a large number of true believers who believe that. Go ahead.
1: Bible when they're saying, you know, we're living in the in yeah Japan. Isn't yeah. that what's really referring to is there's nothing that be fulfilled before Christ came? That's what
0: the apostles believe. Right? That's what the apostles believed because they were expecting it for Christ to come. A matter of fact, when uh, Peter thought that he would come before John died, that was what was in Peter's mind when you know, he turns and says, well, what about this one? Mm-hmm. Thinking that he's going to live. Because Jesus, Jesus said, if I want him to live, then he will. Until I come again, and that's not what he meant at all. He just meant if I wanted him to, he could, but I don't necessarily want him to. So, but I, I can just read, and so that, this is not what this term latter days means. All the, the term latter days basically means is Nebuchadnezzar, God has revealed the mystery to you of what's going to happen in the future. What comes next? What comes after this? That's all it means. It doesn't mean anything about the end times. Now clearly, the prophecy, I believe, sweeps all the way to the end days, the end of the age, the last days, however you want to say it. I believe it does sweep all the way there, but that is not what Daniel is saying. Daniel is just simply saying, King, God has revealed the mystery to you about what's going to happen in the future. This you, is what comes
1: next.
3: But you can uh, read it, obviously, through uh, about the, uh, the gold and all that. Sure. The history through it, you know it's not the end days. It's like the history from after, in his kingdom, to the end. But all through history, it just shows you what's, what's going to happen. It does. That he's in control of these kings and that's what's gonna happen through that with your kingdom and other kingdoms gonna take over place.
0: It's true. And then people have a lot of different interpretations about the stone cup without hands. What it is and when it comes and what it does. We'll talk about some of those, okay? Because there is Latter-day. this is what I meant. Yeah, you've already read ahead, right? What you believe about what God has revealed to Nebuchadnezzar in this dream begins to set your eschatology. You start putting boundaries on what you believe. Right here in this dream, what you believe about the stone cut without hands begins to direct your thinking and your theology concerning eschatology. We'll have to talk about that some when we get there.
1: Not there good. Okay, so we're... So
0: he says... So he's revealed, has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will take place, just say, in the future. And then Daniel doesn't just stop with the dream or the interpretation, right? He tells the king what he was doing and what he was thinking. King, you were on your bed when this dream came to your mind. This is why It really sounds like it's a daydream when Daniel recounts it, as opposed to a nighttime deep in sleep, and you have this vision. Because look at what he goes on to say. Verse 30. This is the humility of Daniel, which is just over the top. But as for me, this mystery has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me more than any other living man. That's set up to the prayer of Daniel. What did he say in this prayer that we looked at last week? That this is, he's giving his theology to the king. Go back at this prayer, beginning with what, verse 20? 20, through 23. What did he say in that prayer that matches what he just said? There's nothing... This has not been revealed to me for any wisdom residing in me as compared to any other living man. <coughs> I match that up to his prayer. Where's God is the one that gives all, mis-
4: all wisdom and insight.
0: Yeah, God is the one, in verse 21, He gives wisdom to wise men and knowledge to men with no understanding. That's Daniels. Nothing within me any different than any of these other guys. Now, is there something different about Daniel compared to all the other guys? Absolutely. He has true faith in the one true God that all the others don't except for his three friends.
3: And he doesn't take the credit for
0: everything. He, <laughs> he takes credit, credit for nothing.
3: Yeah.
0: Matter of fact, he does the exact opposite of taking credit. He says, God's revealed this, but not because I'm anything special. I mean, Daniel is this, is, this is why he can approach King Nebuchadnezzar, because he's always downplaying who he is and what he's done. He's disarming people who would want to take offense with him.
1: After Jeremiah's been preaching, and Jeremiah's been going and so frustrated <coughs> with not being heard, this yeah. time God uses a king. And so Daniel is taken out of the equation, and he is not the mess, he's only a messenger, but the real thing is focused on the king, and yeah. that's the conduit.
0: Yeah, well, absolutely. This is King Nebuchadnezzar's dream, not Daniel's. Yeah, goes off and tries to claim credit for finding
1: Daniel. Well, Daniel's right there. He could have said, um, well, majesty, by, uh, yeah. uh, <laughs> No, I told him,
0: yeah, he but
1: could. He did say a word, so how is Ariat going to feel toward Daniel? I, Boy, you
0: kind of covered Boy, yeah, I mean, th- everybody likes to give Daniel an opportunity. He always comes through. He's always submissive. He's always humble. And everything he says is right. And so he's given the benefit. And we'll see that later. I mean, even even when Nebuchadnezzar gets knocked off or Nebuchadnezzar's successor gets destroyed, Daniel's still prominent. Is it like a
3: picture of Jesus that Jesus never takes credit? He only gives it to his Father?
0: Yeah, he does do that. And, and Jesus uh, also said that he couldn't do anything apart from the Father telling him to do it, right? And Daniel says those kind of things. but Always, always cringe when you think
3: about Because you don't see him Jesus. sin at all, Daniel, at all. There's no sin in him.
0: No, but he had sin.
3: I know that. (laughs) I know that. But it doesn't show that. It's like a picture of Jesus that he never takes credit. And he does it. He says he he, he purposely does the will of the Father. And that's what Dan was doing. He says, I've
4: got nothing. I'm just doing the will of God.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, in that way, yes. He does match up. Well, you can
4: argue from Scripture that anybody that is a, a believer who is acting like Christ will be a picture. In some ways. When, it be of when you see, you know, Paul's obedience or um, his pen upon the Spirit or his praying for others, he's, he's imitating Christ too. Right. And any true believer was going to imitate well, Christ. But to be, we've got to be careful <coughs> to say what's type or picture because right. those are specific literary things that we have to...
0: Well, and, and Paul, amazingly, could say imitate me as I imitate Christ. Okay? I probably will not say that. All true believers <laughs> have the spirit of God. Yeah, yeah, that's true. So we can, act, you know, without any doubt. Right? We just sometimes don't. Right. Right. Don't imitate me. <laughs> okay. So Daniel, full of humility, and realizes that what God has given him. It's not so much an interpretive uh, mystery so he can share it. He's given Daniel a mystery so he can tell the king what it means. That's exactly what he says, right? I'm going to tell you the thoughts of your mind. So Daniel's not trying to take this and spread it to everybody. He says, You, O king, verse 31, were looking and behold there was a single great statue. I don't want to do that part yet. Alright, right, so here we get, you're looking, and behold, there is a single great statue. That statue, which was large and of extraordinary splendor, was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. Now, I'm like NAS, okay? But I think ESV has got spades on NAS in this verse, and in a couple of ones that follow. Because it's not the same way it says it, right? Doesn't say that there was a statue, it says what? There was an image, not a statue, so not something that is um, necessarily um, made by hands and standing still. (coughs) This word image, this is the same word, well, it's the Aramaic equivalent to the same word in Hebrew (coughs) that we, um, if you go back to Genesis 1. Where God says, "And must make man in our image." That's the word here. That word, image. Same word that is being is the Aramaic equivalent of that same word that's being used here. So I think there's more here than just a dumb, still statue. Don't know all this here, but it's more than just a, a statue. This same word is um, used in other places. To mean idol Okay, so it's, it's more than just a statue That he sees And Nebuchadnezzar understands that This is not an ordinary statue Standing there before him Now, it also says NAS would say um, uh, what? Great splendor Whereas the ESV would say what? Exceeding Brightness I think that's a better picture of what's going on here. This is a glorious image that Nebuchadnezzar sees. The next is the key. Okay? NAS would say awesome, but the ESV would say what? That it frightens you. And you can go, there's um, four other places you can go to, Daniel four, five, six, twenty-six, seven, seven. 719, the same word used that means either fearful or dreadful. So it's it's not that oh no, it's awesome, not at all. It's that it's terrifying. This is the same word that Daniel will use to describe the fourth beast and his vision of four beasts, the one that Came up and had uh, teeth like uh, of iron, had ten horns on his head. This is the one that terrified Daniel. Daniel even says after he sees that one, "This one greatly troubled me in my spirit." That's the same thing that's going on with Nebuchadnezzar here. Nebuchadnezzar couldn't sleep, not so much because oh, I wonder what this means or whatever. He was terrified of what he had saw. That's why when he Knew that this was different than just having a, 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 a dream. He knew there was something extraordinary special about this vision. And he was terrified at what it represented. So it's not that, oh, this is awesome. Not at all. This is like, this was terrifying to you. So Daniel <coughs> explains that to him. So Daniel now has the king's full attention because he's now described what the king saw, and the same horror is coming back to the king that he had when he first saw it. Okay, so what does this mean, Daniel, right? So Daniel goes on and describes more about this uh, image. He says, The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze; its legs of iron, and the feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Now, as you descend from the head, what do you notice? Weaker. It's valuable. It's valuable. It's valuable. Yeah, it's valuable, not necessarily weaker, right? Because of all these metals, the strongest is <coughs> iron, right?
1: Nowhere no, near as
0: precious. No, we're not even close. You know, iron is, um, uh, like 25 cents a pound. Gold is like um, 1,200 1200 an ounce right now. 1,206, I think it was on Friday. And silver, about uh, 1,550 an ounce right now, something like that. that Ratio to gold is like 70 to 1. Is that on the Babylonian exchange? (laughs) (laughs) You know, they don't trade publicly anymore. So yeah, they're getting they're getting less valuable as you go down, but not necessarily weaker. Certainly not weaker. Okay, so we don't know what all that means yet, right? So he sees all of this and now the king knows that Daniel has gotten it exactly right, right? There's there's no doubt in his mind that Daniel has seen this vision, which means it's going to be true. The interpretation. Interpretation. That the interpretation will be spot on. And whatever this guy says this means, it means. Because he's seen the same vision that I saw. And that's what the king wanted. Okay? And everybody's breathing a sigh of relief. Not yet. Okay. So then he says, you continue looking... Until a stone was cut out without hands and it struck the statue on its feet of iron and clay and crushed them. And ESV would not say crushed, right? It says what? Broke them. Okay, we'll talk about that in a second. Alright, stone cut without hands, ESV would say without human hands. I think (laughs) that's taking liberty by uh, the translators, but nevertheless. <coughs> what does that mean? Stone cut without, cut out of what? What, I mean, what is this? Well, Christ, Lord, Christ is the cornerstone, is he not? He
1: is. Oh, not say anything about being cut with
0: hands or no hands, right? Well, it cut without hands. Well, this one does. Daniel yeah. does. It's supernaturally?
2: Eternal?
0: Let's not say eternal. Let's say what's true about this stone.
1: Where did it come from?
0: Outside of known things, right? Mm -hmm. That's clear. That's what Nebuchadnezzar would have been thinking. There's this stone cut without hands. You know, maybe he even saw it being cut out. Don't know. But it's it's a stone that's cut without hands. So it's outside of the human realm. Yeah. Even.
1: This definition says something about a determiner. What does that mean? Is that in this relation or is it something different? The, the, um, Strong says to cut, determine. Oh, this word means to cut or determine. Yeah. Okay. What, how does, I mean, I what is a
4: stone that's not, I mean, I can't imagine a stone being cut without imagining it being cut by human hands. So right. there's got to be some, something significant about what it looked like for, for you would think. them to know that this is not something that's, that's natural.
0: Right, right, and that's the point, right. is that it's not natural. It didn't come from man. It's not anything that we cut out It's different than any other stone he's ever seen cut before. That's the point. Go ahead, David. John David. John David. Well, it, John David. <laughs> <laughs> the statue. That, that word is usually an image that has been cut by man. There's a
3: huge
2: contrast here.
3: Right. In other
1: words, these are. This statue is in some way resembling a man-made. Right. Man, you know, from human Perspective man-made. So everything. And we, yeah. But uh, <laughs> you know, these are kingdoms, and so we see the, all of these man-made, quote-unquote compared to this. This is contrasted
0: and yet it's... Right, right. And, and, and that is the point, is that it's not like everything else that he's seeing. That's why it's cut without hands. Right, now, this stone crushes the feet, or breaks the feet, of the image. Okay, so what
1: happens to the image
0: it's crushed. But what ultimately happens to the image? It's blown away like chaff, right? So, what has to happen to the, to the image? It doesn't just break the pieces like ESP says, right? It gets turned to powder. So, it is crushed, I think is probably a better word here. Now, we don't know. Does it just hit the feet and then the statue topples over because it has no feet, and then it gets pulverized, or does it just get pulverized from the head down? We don't know, right? Don't know the method, but we know the result.
3: That could be. Is it the picture? Cause I see this picture in Genesis uh, when uh, the it's like the devil crushes the feet of Christ, and, and I see this is that this is the 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 obviously, Devil is the prince of this earth, Right. and he he actually he's trying to do his his deed on earth, and God crushes that. But but by his crucifixion, that he's taken back the title deed of that he used, that he had. Right. And he took off he took off Adam. So I see this as like, hey, you lost. I crushed you. Now it's mine. Right.
0: Well, there's a lot of truth in that. That's not in this vision. Though.
3: I'm mean, going to seize like the picture of that by crushing okay. that's ex- his feet.
0: Right, that's extending what <clears throat> we have in front of us here. Right, this is Daniel giving Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation of this mystery, so that he will know what's going to happen in the future. Okay, now we can read we we can read a lot of other things into it, but that's not what's in this image. That's not what's in this vision. Now, I don't say what you said was wrong. I'm just saying that's not what's in this passage, right? Now, ultimately, we have to talk about some of those things, especially when we get to the interpretation. But right here, that's not in here. Right.
1: That's um, relational. That is. I think you can make that assumption because
2: things don't get crushed
0: just by themselves no no and they, now it could fall down and break into pieces but that's not what happened to it it got pulverized so it got blown off by the
1: wind We're crushed. We're crushed.
0: yeah and that's a key phrase like yeah. you said that it says that they all got crushed at the same time yeah When we get to what some people interpret this to mean,
1: that's not what they say. Let's talk
2: about it.
0: All crushed at the same time. Very significant phrase, I believe. I believe. Because these
1: kingdoms don't all exist at the same time. So We have to talk about what the
3: interpretation means ultimately. So it's got to be the end kingdom then. <laughs>
4: Maybe. There a lot of people who debate that. Why is there a debate when it... I mean, here's, Daniel gets ready right here and he says, this is the interpretation. And he says, this interpretation comes from God. So anybody else's interpretation is invalid at that
0: point. Yeah, you, you can't ask me my question. <laughs> my question is, why is there a debate? Okay, because... I mean I I have no debate but there are other people who have debate. Okay, I just read what it says and believe it
1: but there is debate I have an image when I when we think about it in the gospel that talks about you will either be crushed
0: by the stones or if you fall on it you're talking about in the end times when when it Stone, 100 pound stones are falling on people. No, I'm talking about what it says. That's the hail. Oh, yeah. Oh, the stone, stone would walk, okay. Right. right. You will either be crushed by it or you will be broken. Whether you fall on it or it falls on you. Right. Right. So is that what's going on here? Well, this is about price. It's debatable. Okay. <laughs> but I believe it is, but it's debatable. All right, so. We have this image that's now been crushed and pulverized and blown off by, like the chaff, when you be grain, stuff that's no good, worthless, right, just carried off by the wind. And then, the very last verse for today, the stone, right, becomes as big as a mountain and fills the earth. What does that mean? And is it a mountain or does it fill the earth
3: it became a great mountain
0: Kingdom. great mountain fills the
1: earth it doesn't I mean, it power. power
0: or the mountain is known by everybody on the planet um, you know that it's, it's splendor fills the earth Yeah, yeah, I mean, I think that's what it means more than, hey, you can see this mountain from any place on the planet. No, but its influence could be felt any place on the planet. So that's what fills the earth. Every place there is on the planet is affected by this mountain. We could talk for a long time about what the mountain is. Is it physical or is it spiritual? Is it a power? Is it a person?
4: You know, I mean, there's all kinds of things we could talk about. Daniel doesn't go to any of this. Well, none of this makes sense. In the literal sense, none of these things are the case because in the interpretation, um, which you have to read ahead, um, there are, it's all talking about kingdoms and things like that. So you can't, just like we didn't take, you know, literally that there was a statue with a literal gold head, that this was symbolic of something else. I mean, that's why Nebuchadnezzar couldn't have because he was seeing these visions, he was seeing this thing happening. We can't literally think, oh, is this a mountain or whatever. Just like we can't even really know what he was seeing other than right. the part what Daniel was saying. Right.
0: And you have to, at some point, the author has to describe something right. to tell us what the image looked like. Now, and so this is what he saw, this is the way he explained it. You'll see that all <clears> through Revelation. Um, John had to write something to convey what he was seeing. And so he wrote the best thing he could. Doesn't mean it's always detailed and exactly, you know. I mean, he's writing what he can about what he's seeing, and these things are overwhelming him. That's the same thing that's going on here in, in this vision. It's, it's kind of overwhelming, it's terrifying. So you really don't even want to look at it, but you're seeing all these things happen. And so he's writing down the best he can. I mean, I think you could make the argument that in, you know, in a 100 AD that Rome filled the earth, and they ruled everything, everywhere in 100 AD. So then you could make that argument. That's the same kind of thing that's being said here about this mountain, glorious mountain, that fills the earth. So, what was or was
1: We'll go through it, right? Daniel, <laughs> Daniel they tell us what it is to some degree you got to remember,
0: Daniel didn't know that the Greeks and the Romans and the Medo-Persians were coming, right? He had no idea about all that. But this vision was given to Nebuchadnezzar that he might know what was going to come next. Because Now think about this. This is God who can do anything he wants to. Take an evil king who's thinking about what's going to come of my kingdom later. And he gives him the interpretation of the history of mankind.
3: So is it not for the king, I think it's mainly for God who he is. He was using the king to show how God awesome he is. In other words, the God of Israel is not dead.
0: Well, yes, but I mean, God gave Nebuchadnezzar this vision so that Daniel could interpret it. But he, so he gave that him Jew the dream, too. But he
3: gave him the dream, too. Oh, In other sure. words, God gave him the dream. Yeah, oh, yeah. He didn't have to, but he did.
0: Yeah, and God chose not Daniel to give this dream to. Mm-hmm. He chose an evil king to yeah. give it to. Mm-hmm. Oh,
1: but then the word get out to the whole
0: kingdom. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, and the dreams that God gives to Daniel, he tells Daniel, Daniel, seal these up. Like, don't tell anybody. <laughs> but he wrote them all down. <laughs> yeah. So here we have the vision. The Daydream, whatever, of this image made of five different materials. So now we get to go and see what Daniel interprets it to mean. Again, I'm not, you know, it's my approach. It's not to try and pull everything into it, it's to see what Daniel pulls into it. Because what's, what's always, always, always your goal when you're studying Scripture?
1: You
2: always want to know what the author's intent was to
0: the people to whom he wrote. what you're always after, because then your application and your
1: interpretation will be after. That's what we're after.
0: Why did Daniel write, write what he wrote, and what does he bring into the picture? A lot of the things could be brought in. Maybe, maybe we'll dabble in some of that. Mostly.
1: Questions, comments?
0: Go ahead. Considering the chaos in our world today, it's extremely comforting to know God is in control. He is. It is. Those evil forces out there, God established them for his own
1: purposes. It makes me think when I just kind of picture this whole crushing thing of the world crazy <coughs> and how I mean it, that whole building was like dust yeah it was you know how can metal and glass and all the things that were in there and it's like and a
0: people
1: and people especially, yeah and it's nothing it blew away nothing and all at once so the dust kind of is it will be this is not like uh, this might happen
0: why God lowers the right. mountains and raises whatever he wants to right it's just in the end times you know when he does flatten all the, the mountains and he raises up the valley it's just one high point on the
1: planet so with a river flowing through the middle of it there's a day anything else i question um about Daniel's motivation. Right. I'll say, well, he's one. 18, it talks about preservation. But, yeah, why
0: did Daniel go to the king What's his motive? He didn't
1: want to get killed. He and his three friends. And you notice when
0: they prayed, they didn't pray that God would spare all the wise men. God had mercy on us, that we might not die
1: with all the wise men. There was self-preservation. And
0: you'll see it in the next story that their attitude really was this. <clears throat> God wants me to die, I'll die. If he wants me to live, then
1: you can't kill me. Basically what their attitude was. And we'll see that in
0: the next coverage.
1: Go ahead, John Reed. I was just gonna say, I think him and his friends, it's clear their their desire was always to glorify God. Like yeah. you said, there's circumstances in life, we have no idea what they are. Our purpose and our desires. What may bring about the new circumstance, whatever the cause may be, we'll have the exact
0: same desire, the exact same overarching motivation, even though there may be
3: different impetuses for the
1: situation we find ourselves in.
0: Yeah, and it doesn't always go good for believers. It's
1: only for... um,